Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. My name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, now's your opportunity to subscribe or subscribe to or follow Nimsy Insights on your social media platform of choice. We are coming to you live today on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, formerly known as Twitter, and probably a couple others. So wherever you're joining us, welcome. And you follow us, you will be the first to be notified when we publish new research or schedule new live events like this. So I'm going to get right to the chase here and skip a lot of the the standard plugs that I give here. This is our second live stream of the day. So those of us join, those of you guys joining us for the double feature, then welcome back to the show. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be diving deep into the in, in, intricate tapestry of localization in the digital era. Our focal point will be an insightful article that delves into the evolution of language technologies and the tug of war between human expertise and machine efficiency. As the language industry experiences unprecedented growth driven by technology and investor interest, there's an undercurrent of challenges, the mental and emotional toll on professionals, the consequences of over-relying on AI, and the potential loss of uniquely human touch in content creation. Can the industry strike a balance between the embracing innovation and ensuring the well-being of its professionals? As we unpack the context of this article, which, by the way, is in the June issue of Multilingual Magazine. Let's see if I can find what page it's on. It's on uh, page 53 for those following along, Human in the Loop. So we're going to be unpacking this and highlighting the importance of retaining human values while navigating the wave of technological advancements. Our guest today is DG Scrouse, and he is the owner of and chief revenue officer. And I'm sure I mispronounced that, so apologies, <laughs> but welcome anyways. No, fine. <laughs> You're the chief revenue officer and owner of Native Localization, where you specialize in paving seamless pathways for business businesses to venture into global markets. Uh, DG's expertise lies in developing and devising strategic localization growth hacks, establishing robust operations at scale and providing consultations on technological best practices and infrastructure design. He is driven by a fervent passion for shaping the foundational and operational blueprints for software companies to achieve impeccable global market integrations through localization. Welcome to the show, and thank you for your contribution to Multilingual Magazine. It was a, it was a great article. I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad everyone's enjoying it as, as much as I hear about it. I, I, I could tell... But when I was reading your article, I, I could tell, I got the distinct impression, like this was something that you had, this was a topic you had something to say about, and you've been waiting <laughs> for a while, like yeah. a while to to speak out about it, because it came through in your article, let's just say. Yeah, yeah it sort of felt like a, a snowball idea that, uh, as I said in the background, it's everything led to it, kind of, uh, I was 
it started on I think last last year's November issue on, on at multilingual. So all the all the, all the issues after that they just piled on this uh, ongoing excitement about artificial intelligence and this as I, as I love to call it it's just falling in love like fast and hard in about technologies and i think we've, we've been there before i think it's it's not the first technological breakthrough that we have in, in language technology it happened before with translation memories yep. and cat in translation i think in a way it, it repeats itself and it just begs the question again the human value and the specter of human involvement and in all this so yeah yeah, it, it's a topic that we're, we're no stranger to in the language services industry, which is new technology comes on the market. Everybody kind of freaks out. Um, <laughs> some people leave the industry because they're convinced they're not going to have jobs in, in five years. Oh, yeah. And then eventually, you know, the hype curve comes back down and we kind of learn to live with it a little bit and figure out what what's happening and i you know this is i don't want to say it's no different with the rise of artificial intelligence because it is different there's something different about it but there's also some stuff that are the same about it so mm. we can i don't think it's going to be exactly like the past with the introduction mm. of tms or mt or anything like that but there's mm -hmm. going to be things that we can learn from the past certainly on it um I'll, I'll kick us off here with, I pulled some quotes from your article. Sorry, I've got birds here. I pulled some quotes from the article. Let's get me off screen. <clears throat> talking about the uh, proliferation in language technology out there, just to kind of set the scene for what we're talking about. You say, we are living in the most innovative era in the history of the language industry. NIMSI's recent language technology landscape analysis revealed an astounding increase from roughly 500 language technology solutions in 2017 to more than 800 in 2022. This is most likely helped by the increased investor interest in the industry in recent years. And if history is any guide, this trend is not going away anytime soon. Alongside the massive initiative to create more solutions, the need for a qualified workforce to orchestrate the increasing number of systems is growing as well. Although there are estimations by the World Economic Forum that by 2025 technology will create 12 million more jobs than it will destroy, there is a looming question about the nature of these jobs and what emotional toll these jobs are going to create on people that choose to do them. And I, I think this really kind of summarizes very succinctly the, the problem statement that, that we're facing here in our industry and mm -hmm. kind of summarizes how I feel about it too. It's like, I don't think the number of jobs in our industry is going to decrease necessarily. I think though that the, what, how we do the work in our industry is going to be changing and the functions of those jobs may be changing as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the years and information that we have here, it's, it's by the end of 22, I think the, the amount of software that got generated after the introduction of AI, I think we are seeing hundreds per week now. So it just only picked up way faster than that anyone anticipated so in terms of how the jobs will look like i think we have some idea i think first of all it's important to understand that translation and localization is is a creative profession yeah. first so um how how will this be adapted to because everyone will be required to work with some sort of uh, technology to just scale up and just not fall fall back. So we are here in the crossroads of 
having our create creativity challenged or pushed by the technology that we are forced to use. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all about the, 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 the perfect spot to just combine those two because there's no other way uh, creativity can survive because it will be, in my opinion, sort of overshadowed by the massive amounts of content that will be created. Maybe not necessarily as, as good. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there, there will still be, I think, content that will shine through, but it's, it will get more difficult if these really high qualified people will not <laughs> sort of embrace this. Right. And there's kind of two different ways that I, I look at the, the rise of generative AI, language models, all of that stuff, whatever you want to call it. And one is it's changing the way that content is going to be created moving forward. And language industry, to, to a large extent, is in the business of transforming content, not necessarily creating content. We do that, too. Right. But mm -hmm. we're mostly in the business of transforming content. So our input is being changed. And I think like like you alluded to, there's a good argument to say that there's going to be more content created now than ever. So in a way, it's, there's mm -hmm. going to be more more work for us. Um, yeah. The second way of looking at this is not necessarily how our input is being changed, but how our actual processes are going to be changed. Because this is a revolutionary technology that is all about content. And mm -hmm. essentially, you mentioned it's a very, uh, I forget the word that you said, but essentially it's a creative industry, right? I, I would call it mm -hmm. a human, a human-centric industry. And the technology mm -hmm. that we're dealing with now is a technology that fundamentally is trying to replicate humans. It's trying <laughs> artificial intelligence, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. how is it going to be changing our, our industry for the better and for the worse, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of the second question mm -hmm. that comes up. Yeah. Well, if, if you look back a bit when machine translation was introduced, it was, it was a time when nobody created content faster, the content was still created at the normal pace and translators and localizers were sort of given a tool to catch up to, to be more efficient with mm -hmm. with entering new markets and, and stuff like that. But at the moment, uh, uh, I think if you're looking at the purpose of what really localization is doing, uh, you're, you're right in saying that it's transformed content, but it's also it's also about creating some some sort of a response in the market you are trying to enter. So, yeah, with with that in mind, well, and I think that's that another strong trend is the <laughs> move towards. And I was just talking about this yesterday um, mm -hmm. with somebody. Uh, the move towards this overlapping function of localization and user experience, right? Yeah, how, how those and, yeah. two areas are merging together. Mm -hmm. over yeah, time. With, with that with with that in mind. I think it's really hard for artificial content to create the emotional response you are trying to get. So I think AI is still competing with crutches, so to say, mm -hmm. against humans. I like that. Yeah, it's competing, <laughs> yeah. but it's, yeah. it's on crutches. But there's, there's a point I said, if companies decide to pick average, for example, localization solutions, 
they might very well be replaced by artificial intelligence because they are not creating that added value in, in responses and reactions and actual functionality of the content that they're trying to do in that target market. So I think that's a great filter for, for, the, for the content. And uh, yeah, I think that in a way sort of funnels it down a bit because there will be overproduction of, of artificial content, but the, the, the great, great filter is that um, not all of it will be useful, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and another, you know, phenomenon that's happening is, you know, the societal and just cultural shifts and the tolerance for, let's just call it less than human quality content, right? And mm -hmm. I see this a lot nowadays. So like when I started creating like multimedia content for Nimsy, right? Like we started mm -hmm. creating videos and stuff. That was, you know, five years ago. It's not that long ago. There was this big push on like, if, if you're going to do a video, like it's got to be high quality. It's got to be professional looking. It's, it's, you know, there's certain standards, you know, get a microphone, have some good lighting around and kind of put some effort into it. So you have this good quality. Nowadays, like, I don't know, have you been on TikTok? Right. It's like the video content that's going viral out there is just super low quality by the standards mm -hmm. of five years ago. So I would make the argument like the cultural shifts and the expectational shifts are kind of decreasing as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're also being trained to have attention span of a goldfish, essentially. Oh, God, it's horrible. So and <laughs> yeah, the so. pandemic didn't help social media doesn't help <laughs> but i remember when i used to yeah. be able to sit through a 60 minute meeting without <laughs> needing a break <laughs> yeah and it's getting yeah. harder you're, you're in the business of podcasts it's it, it's a quite a challenge to have uh, people keep attention for 60 minutes but Ima it, imagine yeah. yeah imagine movies a few years ago and now everyone's preferring tv shows so essentially oh. a long movie and <laughs> just split yeah well, spans, uh, again, in, in, in terms of actually proving value of what you do as well, it's really hard to explain a value of a rather complex topics such as localization in, in 15 seconds as well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, this all kind of brings us to it, you know, the shifting patterns in user behavior, expectations and technology kind mm -hmm. of brings us to one thing I wanted to ask about just because your article touched on it, which is mm -hmm. the this concept of lang ops right and this is mm -hmm. you know it's kind of achieved buzzword status in recent months um <laughs> and i don't even know who to attribute it to like who started using this word first um but lots I of people i think one of the yeah who, i think what? one of the larger localization companies it was uh, unibabble or or if i'm not wrong some of the companies that invest a lot of time creating these manifestos and creating this. Someone with a, that's a good marketing department is who it is. <laughs> right? Also, yeah, also, but the, they, they are trying to, and actually quite successfully trying to attest to the characteristics of localization to development operations, which essentially localization is a discipline be between development and operations because the, the, in the development phase, localization is part of uh, being into international internationalization stage and pseudo localization and testing and stuff like that so that the software for the operation side functions well so 
we are we are going from initial translation and localization into maintaining the strings with the with the release cycles and stuff like that. So it's it's more or less a perfect fit from the technology aspect because lo localization is in the middle of uh, software development yeah. and and operations. Yeah, and I kind of see but, that as. You know, to me, LangOps, if, if you ask me, what do you define as LangOps, I would abstain from answering the question, right? I'd refer <laughs> you, I'd say, here's some links to some articles discussing it. Because I don't, I don't want to wade into that discussion. I have no desire. I'm, I'm too old, too much gray in my beard. I, I, I think we're not really ready to, def to provide a definition of what LangOps is because it's a new concept. Fair. And, and, and yeah, and it's... I think now it's just a, a thing that localization is trying to be, and, and it will. It's an aspiration, of, right? It's yeah, it's a it, goal. It will have a lot so. of yeah. It will make a lot of mistakes along the way. One of which is the human aspect. In in the, in development operations, the human aspect is is sort of nullified or very very low in in terms of what a human has to do in order to orchestrate. Mm operation systems in, in, in localization without human involvement, I think it renders useless. So yeah, there's a long way to go and there will be a lot of mistakes made. I, I like that. I like that. And I, I would say like in my mind, LangOps is very much a compromise or at least a negotiation between the competing forces that we have in our industry of technology and efficiency and human and culture and creativity, right? Mm -hmm. Because language by its definition is a very creative human endeavor, but yet we have this constant pressure to become more efficient and to leverage the latest technologies. Mm -hmm. And LangOps is the latest attempt mm -hmm. to try to merge those two. Yeah, as, as Marco said from Translated, it's the most human thing that we have. And, oh, uh, I have a slide and... for that. What do you know? <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, a, good, it's a good quote. <laughs> and and when you look at it uh, for for from the creative perspective, we don't see a lot of uh, technology involvement in, in painting, for example, or in music. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting combination to be able to um, optimize and and maximize the and squeeze out the juice from human creativity with words, and and make it uh, so that. <laughs> We are on the border of maybe losing part of that creativity just by yeah. overusing the stuff that we have now. Well, and I, I like this. The reason I pulled this quote out, is, and for those of you listening, not watching, this is a quote from Marco Trombetti, uh, one of the founders of Translated over in Italy. He says, language is the most human thing out there. Language is the driving force of human evolution. And the reason I like this quote is not immediately apparent uh, it's that translated is on the cutting edge of artificial intelligence. Like they've been doing artificial, not nowadays everybody's talking about mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. Translated and Marco Trombetti specifically has been talking about and using artificial intelligence f for years, way before it was cool, right? Mm -hmm. And for someone with such a technology mindset, to still say language is the most human thing out there and it's the driving force behind human evolution is I think it's a pretty powerful statement and it shows these competing ideologies that we have that we're in the center of.
in our industry. Yeah. And I think he's in the right place because people with thinking like that should be in charge of uh, creating these kinds of technologies. Exactly. Um, I'm just looking at the comments here. You, you've got your fan club representing in the <laughs> comments here. Uh, <laughs> Gary Leafman. Hi, Gary. says, DG's hits the nail on the head with this one. LangOps operators, employees in these positions are subject to increased levels of stress. It's spot on. And that, of course, is a quote that I took directly from your article here, which mm -hmm. leads us naturally into kind of the next topic. And what I like about your article is it's about technology, but it's about humans. And it's about the effect that is happening with the human capital in our industry. And the first thing that you talk about is stress. So let me just read a quote from, from your article here and take a look at this. You say, mm -hmm. stress has always been a killer of all sorts. Employees suffering from increased levels of stress often experience reduced work performance, lack of creativity, and in more extreme cases are forced to change jobs. A study by the Society for Human Resource Management found that stress was the top cause of employee turnover, with 41% of employees citing stress as the reason for leaving their job. The localization industry is no different in that regard. We see an increasing number of high-level localization professionals leaving work that they love doing just because it is not sustainable in the long term. And I'm going to keep reading here because the quote goes on. Um, later on, stress closely related to stress is the concept of burnout. And so I'll, I'll read here. Burnout is a common problem in the localization industry, and it is often caused by a product-centric approach where localization is viewed as a support function and its goals and challenges are often overlooked in favor of keeping the product cycle moving forward. This is what I was talking about with those competing forces, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because localization has its own goals and challenges and we're being asked or forced to figure out mm -hmm or to not sacrifice those goals no. in favor of the, you know, at the altar of technology. Mm. Um, moving on, this can, this can create a strained environment where supporting roles feel undervalued, particularly when the credit for achieving goals is attributed solely to the product or sales team. Additionally, the pressure to optimize budgets often leads to understaffing, which can contribute to burnouts. And, you know, I, I can say, yeah, and amplify this more if you work on the vendor side, right? We have a, yeah. a robust value chain in the language services industry, mm -hmm. and the further down you get in that value chain, the more true this can be. Coming for That's background, great, yeah. I, I come from the vendor side, so I'm definitely mm -hmm. biased in this regard, but you know, it used to really, really gnaw at me when I'd see, you know, some really, we did some really brilliant, good, good work on the vendor side. Not, not me, you know, mm -hmm. had brilliant solutions architects and people working for us. Mm -hmm. And then the client would go, you know, I'd speak at Loke World and talk <laughs> about how brilliant they were and all of this innovation that they had implemented and not yeah, even, not even right. mention it, right? So it, it's prevalent mm -hmm. at all, all phases mm -hmm. in the supply chain. Yeah. Uh if we start with the beginning of what you what you read out, uh, it's actually one one of the basic points of what 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 this, why this article came to mind. Uh, yeah, as my title is uh, revenue operations, so I talk to a lot of people on on the buyer side as well, and 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 I, and I found this phenomenon in, in within three to four months. Uh, it's a very sensitive topic, so I'm not 
going too deep within it because people really don't want to talk about it publicly yet. But there are a lot of people that I talk to about maybe seeing what we can do to together and help each other. And they, they, uh, I had a lot of responses where people just, I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm just swapping out jobs or I'm, I'm taking a pause and just seeing really brilliant people just uh, not being able to take it anymore. And, and yeah, that's probably, I'm not saying the technology is one of, one of the main aspects of it. It's also the, the other part of the quote that you read is that localization is not measured against the right KPIs, right? So there are very clear, at least four things that you can consider for uh, and attribute the success to localization, which is new customer acquisition in new markets, uh, seeing the customer retention and increased engagement and, and even sales, sales and, and, and marketing results improve because of the local messaging in, in those target markets. So it's very easy to just shift shift the thinking a bit and, and attribute those things to not the product itself, not the success of how good the product is, but how good those different parts of, of messaging and, and localization actually are. Well, it, it's hard, right? Because, and this is why I often refer to, like what you're talking about is attributing revenue to return on investment yeah. to localization. Like in a word mm -hmm. is what is the ROI? of localization. Mm -hmm. And this is a topic exactly. that will not die. Um, it's always going to be talked about because mm -hmm. it's hard. It's not a clear objective KPI. And, you know, there's folks out there, you know, like I'm thinking mm -hmm. of Natalie Kelly, you know, go check out the Born to be mm -hmm. Global blog. There, there's mm -hmm. other folks mm -hmm. out there that have talked about this and made some really good points on it. But I would argue that it's, it's not something that I don't think we're ever going to really be able to solve because mm -hmm. if I have a product and I localize it into another for another market, how much of that revenue from that market gets attributed to me and mm -hmm. in, as a localization director and how much of that revenue gets attributed to the original product team? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a negotiation that needs mm -hmm. to take place and a buy-in from the senior management mm -hmm. that says, mm -hmm. yes, I do believe it's fair to allocate mm -hmm. certain amounts to mm -hmm. that. Yeah, Th there was an interesting, interesting test that one of my connections uh, shared with me. They had a case study, which also, at the, as a result, proved the value of localization. The, they had they had some of the some of the languages done by AI exclusively with no human involvement, and that they had uh, a pack of languages that they they were doing with full translation and, and full localization teams. So, uh -huh. and essentially, compared the results of uh, of impressions and uh, and click through rates and and just general responses, and they were able to measure quite precisely. <laughs> what the value of localization in those cases were. So it's, I think the A-B testing is something that product teams understand really well because yeah. they do it on a regular basis, right? Yeah. So if localizations, localization teams try to speak their language to try and, and show the value via A-B testing, for example, just, just place the human uh, localized product next to an untouched AI solution uh, you'll cl clearly see those results, but I think yeah, you are right. It's one of the, one of the 
small tools to help, but it's a giant conversation. I think it's not going to be resolved overnight, right? No, no, of course not. Of course not. So bringing us back to the, um, the name of the article is Human in the Loop. I think, I believe, I forgot the exact name of it, <laughs> it but is. let's, first of all, let's define our terms. What, what does that mean by human in the loop? And I've, I've also heard this term who's, it might be Marco and translated popularizing this, um, or it might be scientific. Human. I, I'm not sure, but I've also heard machine in the loop, right? So, but okay. what is, I know that's a clever marketing thing, right? Um, but what does this mean? Human in the loop? Human in the Loop was one of the points in, in, in Multilingual's magazine where they talked about language operations manifesto. So Human in the Loop is just a name that, that characterizes that humans will actually be the, the, the guiding force for the technology in the localization industry. And we should always keep the human value intact, which is not, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not only referred to in terms of actual language production, it's, it's also in, for me, it's also in the terms of uh, those orchestrators that actually make localization infrastructures work because they are not fully automated and, and there are still people involved in delivering results. So I think uh, human in the loop is meant in this Langops manifesto as, as more towards the, to the producing end result. But uh, for me, it just sparked, sparked a, a conversation in my head about the other side of the people that that orchestrate those systems yeah so let, let, let's talk about that going back to the the stress mm -hmm. and the burnout and you say um society for human resource management found stress was the top cause of employee turnover with 41 percent of employees citing stress as the reason for leaving their job and now it's come and then you go on to um mm -hmm. cite some reasons why this is a specific challenge to our industry what's what's the way out from this like how i mean it's one thing to say there's a lot of stress there's a lot of burnout and trust mm -hmm. me i've i've managed people i've managed teams for years um i've managed people that mm -hmm. are burnout i've been burnout i am not going to comment on my current status of burnout um but it's easy to talk about burnout it's one of those things it's very easy to complain about but what's the way out mm -hmm. what's the solution here Mm. Well, it depends on where the burning burning out is coming from. If it's the, if it's something something inside, a person should probably prioritize their therapy. Well -being. <laughs> Get a therapy gym membership. Yeah, healthy people as well, right? Uh, but uh, in in terms of localization, I think uh, it's it's not a very specific issue. It's just a new issue, maybe okay. maybe a newer issue for us. And uh, what can we do? Uh, in my article, I also I look at those some systems that actually empower the, the localization managers and localization orchestrators that are making all this happen, right? So, uh, as, as I mentioned, software like Blackbird is, is uh, phenomenal in, in that regard. They just give, give a lot of power, powerful tools to the project managers and localization managers to automate a lot of stuff, freeing up the time to focus on, on these maybe more humane tasks rather than just uh, making all this meat grinder work yeah. and as, as essentially do, giving the tools that are not really hard to get into but actually provide a lot of value and and uh, 
free up essentially free up time and then and, and that way they they i think they contribute to reducing burnouts as well yeah and burnout's going to look very different depending upon going back to the supply chain where are we in that supply chain right are we talking about mm -hmm. the buyer you know the client side mm -hmm. professional are we talking about a mm -hmm. lsp project manager or are we talking about the translator mm -hmm. we have here in the comments vita mentions says in fact let me see if i can pull it up here in fact the actual doer does not even have a name going back to our conversation about mm -hmm. you know who gets credit for things the actual doer does not even have a name in best scenario in the best scenario the agency has a name potentially even not the endpoint agency but mm -hmm. an intermediate initial one has the chance to be known and mm -hmm. you know just kind of reiterating on the the fact that you know we're working our butts off. a lot of people are working their butts off and they're not mm -hmm. getting credit they're not getting mm -hmm. the recognition for working their butts off and let's go downstream to the translator you know to use vita's yeah. term the doer mm -hmm. right lsps don't sell translation they sell project management right it's exactly. the translator exactly. that's doing the translation unfortunately mm -hmm. i'm just just saying like let's be real the translators aren't usually invited to the table when they're creating the dev roadmaps for the latest technologies of that are going to revolutionize yeah. the industry. Mm. And those technologies are usually focused on efficiency and can sometimes be mm. misguided in their analysis of what makes, what's mm. going to make the translator's job easier. Mm. You know, I don't know any yeah. tr translators who were begging for machine translation <laughs> post editing to be a thing. You know, yeah. they've accepted it. They're working with it because the world has moved. And in mm -hmm. order to be relevant, you have to know about machine translation, post editing mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't see the translators getting excited about that. So, mm -hmm. you know, how, how do translators, you know, what's what can translators do? What can linguists do? Mm -hmm. Or should they just change professions now? Should they take a course on mm -hmm. technology? Should they develop mm -hmm. a new skill set? Do nothing? Uh. No, I mean, as you said, uh, MTP was maybe not forced on, on the doers, but it was introduced. And, and if you are I, trying to... I forced up, it yeah. on a lot of doers <laughs> when I was... A, I'll, I'll take the fall yeah. here. I'll be the bad guy. When I was a project manager, I had I had mm. to force MTP mm. on a lot of mm. translators who did not yeah. want to do it. Yeah, but on, on a vendor side, I think uh, what we can do is be some sort of uh, mediary or an ambassador on behalf of the translator and that's what native does nice. actually we are trying we are trying to be as humane as possible in, in the in the rules that uh, the client is trying to set and, uh, and the framework that we are trying to develop together so our, our sort of uh, central mission is to have a localization journey that helps you sleep at night so and it, it goes both ways it goes towards vendors and it goes towards uh, clients as well but to in regards to the doers i think we can draw a very easy comparison to for example prog programmers we also not, don't know a lot of the programmers that, that, that do the stuff so it's that's fair. unfortunately yeah, that's true. just, just point. it's just just the nature of the profession i think and uh, we know translators that do uh, artistic stuff stories and, and and stuff like that but we we don't hear about those everyday doers that in a similar way are just part of the all the trickle down stuff that comes from the top and just 
ends up with them. Yeah, and a lot of times these doers that we don't. I've been a doer before, right? I've also been the bad guy managing mm-hmm. doers. Um, but a lot of times these doers, we don't reap the benefits necessarily because mm-hmm. in theory, and you said it, right? The technology is going to make our lives easier and free us up, take away the boring menial tasks and free mm-hmm. us up to do more interesting and significant and meaningful work. Now, what I've mm-hmm. observed is that sometimes in practice, what that means is, okay, we're going to free up more time, and then the managers are going to assign us more work, <laughs> right? So we're still working 12-hour yeah. days. We're just mm-hmm. getting done twice as much. Yeah, that's, that's also one of the big questions if we, if we keep freeing up time to do more work, it's, it's not going to end well. It's just a highway to, to really getting burnt out really quick. Yeah. But if, if we sort of embrace the technology that actually frees up time and then we do something meaningful with it, for example, as I, as I say, human brain is not meant to, do, not meant to be doing machine stuff, right? Yeah. So if you leave and embrace the technology that takes care of that side and automates as much, much as possible and just frees up time for the project manager, for the localization manager, for anyone just to be human in, in, in these situations, to, to make connections, to, make, to have, have the ability to listen to the client more and, and feed all this information towards creating a better product alongside the technology that helps with the everyday stuff and I, I think that's the way to go forward we have to have technology that sort of respects the human time i think because now it's it's not happening that yeah. much i think and, and you mentioned this is kind of what you do at native localization which is to kind of serve as that ambassador or intermediary and help negotiate mm. between the humans and the machines or the mm. people pushing the machines and the people pushing creativity mm. Um, tell me, just for some context, tell me a little bit more about native localization. What do you guys do? Um, what kind of clients do you work with? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Yeah. So uh, we started around eight years ago under a different name. So alongside with partners from NIMSI, last 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 winter we repositioned ourselves a bit. So it's it's been an exciting journey as native from 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 last uh, last January. Uh, what we do essentially, we work in the IT field. We work with software companies. We work with product developers. It's it might be fintech, it might be health tech, it, and any type of product that they are trying to get into more markets than than domestic US markets. So, and yeah, and, and uh, what sets us apart, I think, is that uh, translators have been good to us. We, we've been good translators, and we try to emphasize that. Uh, good relationships are what essentially uh, keeps the business running, right? It's because, true. yeah, and, and, and it goes both ways. We always emphasize that it goes both ways because it, nothing ends with us and we are sort of just a service facilitator and we can do those things as good as we can. But if we are neglecting the people that actually do it or we are being neglected to the or not inflexible to, to the, pe- the 
clients that actually need stuff done in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and the, and the technologies that I mentioned before, they're actually, it's, it's an interesting situation because uh, I think not, as, I, as you said, I think five or six years ago, uh, the bigger clients, they went to the big companies because yep. of the technology, right? Yep. Uh, and now, now we are in the situation where this technology is available to us. So, yep. so, so, and and the tech, and the flexibility is not necessarily there for the big guys. So, this is yep. an interesting, interesting thing in the market where we can actually provide the service and the uh, scalability of a large company while being super flexible and and just being there for them for everyone essentially. So, yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. Very good. Be- being a friend, being a friend to everyone. So. Yeah, being, a, being a partner. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, I would even say like five to 10 years ago, you know, mm. back, back in the day, I remember there was this big push. A lot of organizations were moving more towards like single sourcing, right? Mm. I'm talking about like the big guys, right? So they didn't mm-hmm. want to be dealing with freelancers, certainly not, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to be dealing with 10 different agencies. They wanted to have <laughs> one partner and oh, mm-hmm. by the way, they wanted that one partner to also provide the technology, right? And yeah. you know, back in the day, we didn't have. You mentioned you know the NIMSI Technology Atlas mapping mm-hmm. like nine hundred different language technologies. Back in the day, it was like, do you want Trados or Deja Vu, right? Like <laughs> there weren't there weren't a lot of options out there, mm-hmm. right? And nowadays, people have options, <clears throat> and they don't need to find a services which is to say a translation provider that also mm. has their own technology um and in fact i think a lot mm. of organizations through that period of single sourcing learned that they don't want that because mm. uh, some of these organizations found themselves in a situation where they were very unhappy with their vendor but they were locked into the technology because they built all these yeah. integrations or you know they were v- very um unhappy with the technology but they didn't want to leave the vendor right Mm -hmm. so i think that whole era is what allowed for this proliferation of language technology to come out there which has Mm -hmm. only benefited the industry because it's allowed smaller players you know like native localization Mm -hmm. right i mean i hate to call it lsp small but let's call (laughs) boutique players yeah, specialized <laughs> players like native localization. No, and it's not a joke because you know mm-hmm. we deal with vendor management, project management, and outsourcing, right? And so mm-hmm. any LSP is scalable because mm-hmm. if you get a big job tomorrow, you can just assign more translators to it, and you might need exactly. to go onboard mm-hmm. those translators, but mm-hmm. that's that's why you make the big bucks because mm-hmm. you're you're good with yeah. that. You manage that supply chain, and, and better yet, you can introduce a new technology within hours so you basically work by requirement so we will not be holding five different uh, licenses unless we need them right right so yeah it's it's i think i think the industry in a way is healing because of that (laughs) right yeah no that's what i see it too i think we went through we kind of made went down a wrong path as an industry and now we're coming back it's not going to be the last wrong path that we go down of course of course but speaking of which going down wrong paths like where where do you see from a practical standpoint with the advent not advent but i would call it proliferation i would call it mainstreaming 
of AI and large language models, you know, it's, it's not new technology, right? We, mm-hmm. A lot of people were talking about it like it's new. It's been around. Now it's just becoming more mainstream, right? Yeah. So it's reaching that point where it's accessible, I should say. Mm-hmm. So with the increased uh, accessibility of artificial intelligence and everything that that begets, where do you see the next, you know, where's, where's the industry going? What, what trends do you think are coming? What are the next mistakes? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. What's the next wrong yeah. path that we're going down? Yeah. I, I recently read an interesting, uh, an interesting article about, uh, basically using AI generated content to train, which was sort of creating a huge, was that Taos? Where's that article from? No, oh, I have to check on my feed because I shared it and it, okay. It, no, it's yeah, just, but, I, I've talked to people. I think I've talked to yeah. Taos about that before. They've they've done mm-hmm. stuff like that, and I don't understand that concept. But anyway, so sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Uh, no, no, no. That's it's uh, yeah. It's it's essentially what could actually present itself as a very affordable option, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's something we have to really be careful about because if if artificial intelligence generates content and humans are not mm, checking it and we are directly feeding it back into these models to train AI data again we are just creating a spiral of yeah of of inaccurate information if, and then if we are using something like that to 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 publish content which might not be really precise i think that's one of the biggest issues i i, I mean there was even this uh lawyer in the news i, I think you you heard about it when, when oh yeah he created like a, like a argument in in court just by using ai and it's and, wrong and, uh, it's just and wrong. AI essentially hallucinated and uh, that was fun yeah. and uh not, not fun for him but fun for everyone else but uh yeah i think that's that's something that's something that's going to we have to be careful about because there will be this uh, attraction to making it cheaper i think but yeah uh, but in, in terms of good stuff uh, this uh, i think this specter of human involvement in content creation it, it has to happen right because we are seeing some these talented people that they that that had created content before without ai if if they combine that it's just it's overall better for everyone mm-hmm. because they can create a, a lot more content in a, a shorter matter of time, which probably compensates them better as well financially. And, uh, Assuming the pricing models don't change. Right? They will. That's the, <laughs> that, always. That's the problem is like the pricing, it's all, mm-hmm. follow the money, right? It's about how, how are people getting compensated mm-hmm. for their work? And mm-hmm. if you follow the money, then nine times out of 10, the people defining the pricing structures are not necessarily the people that understand how things work. Mm-hmm. They're upper managers or middle managers that, you know, people defining machine translation, post-editing discounts and mm-hmm. pricing structures. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but they're not always the people that actually understand what are the real benefits. They, they mm-hmm. understand enough to say, okay, 
machine translation is going to give me some efficiency and therefore I should be getting a discount. I feel like that discount should mm. be 15%, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's not necessarily a real, right? And I, I feel mm. like that's kind of, there's a lot of people talking about AI, hey, myself included, that um, don't understand exactly what they're talking about. And I think mm -hmm. that can be dangerous when we start negotiating. There, and it, it could just be one LSP out there mm -hmm. that screws it up for the rest of us. One yeah. LSP yeah. out there that says, hey, I'm going to be giving 70% discounts because I'm using <laughs> XYZ trained large language model. Mm -hmm. And it could be complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right, they yeah. could be running at a loss, but guess what? Now everyone in the industry on the buyer side is going to start expecting those discounts, mm. right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was just thinking about that, and it's also not something new, right? It, it happened before. With, yeah, with, that's why then. I can say this because this <laughs> yeah. is based upon my experience. This <laughs> yeah. isn't a projection. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a futurist. When, when, yeah, uh, when buyers learned about. Uh, uh, cat tools and translation memories and machine translation it's the same thing again and i think it it will ai will present the same issues there will be different levels of vendors and there will be different levels of buyers as well ones that will prioritize pricing over anything else and uh, there's hardly anything you can do apart from just being being the voice of reason and, and trying to explain and educate stuff and, yep. and be vocal yep. about why why things cost that much and why why the value is actually hidden from uh, hidden behind uh, higher level of investment so i think yeah it's also it's again it's a, it's 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 different different buyers and different vendors and it's 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 a it's a remaining issue that's been here for ages yeah yeah nothing like i said there's you know there's nothing new under the <laughs> nothing sun new. right <laughs> Exactly. It's, it is it is what it is and what it has been and will continue to be. But you sum it up. I'm going to go back to the article here because we're, we're running out of time. This conversation has gone quick <laughs> for me. Um, you say the localization evolution is just starting to take off its training wheels, driven by technological innovation and the companies that push its boundaries. While these advancements can sometimes be seen as a threat to jobs, it's important to reframe them as an opportunity to refocus on the core values of the industry. As professionals, we should be leveraging technology to enhance communication and connection. By prioritizing the well-being of our people, we can ensure the long-term sustainability of the industry and continue to attract and retain the skilled and passionate talent who make it thrive. This is the perfect time to prove that innovation is not just about being passionate about technology. It is also about being compassionate towards the people in the loop. And I, I love that because when people use the word innovation, nine times out of 10, they're talking about technology. And mm -hmm. I'm not a tech guy. I'm a process guy. I'm a, I'm a people manager, you know, in my, in my soul, right? And there's so much innovative stuff that you can do. Uh, from a process perspective or from a mm -hmm. people perspective. I'm thinking of, um, I'm sure you know Diego over at Creative Words in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows Diego. Yep. <laughs> or everyone knows his glasses, I should yeah, say. Yeah, everyone knows yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, he's a good Instagram follow. Um, but, you know, Creative Words, they've gone to a four-day work week, 
with, mm -hmm. you know, that's innovative to me. It has nothing to do with technology. They're, of course, using technology to support it, but mm -hmm. that's innovation from a human perspective. And there's other yeah. companies out there doing innovative stuff like mm -hmm. that too. But I really mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. And also, yeah, uh, for the work week for uh, a localization radar is, uh, is something to applaud because that's, yeah, I would love to hear how he how he achieved that and have a talk about that. But uh, what you said before, uh, processes and innovation and technology shouldn't always be about uh, maximizing the productivity. I yep. think processes should also have this added value of taking care of the people that you uh, task task these things with. So, yeah. Uh, and that and we have as i said we have we have people that love being in the language industry they are huge assets and, and provide huge value to everyone but taking care of those people is is i think the more it's it's more important than being super productive and then uh, yeah. yeah gotta treat them well <laughs> definitely well any, any last closing thoughts before i i start wrapping this up here for good <laughs> Uh, no, uh, essentially, I, I love to talk about this. So everyone, anyone listening, just uh, drop me a message if you want to talk talk further about this. And yeah, and let me know your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. For those of you guys listening, either live or watching the recording or listening to the podcast, make sure to go follow DJs on LinkedIn and social media, so you can. He's he's active over there. You can <laughs> keep up to date. On all the stuff he's talking about once again this is if you want to read his full article it is in the june issue of multilingual magazine on page 53 it's called the human in the loop if you're a digital subscriber of course you can access it online if you're not a subscriber to multilingual then you should be like why aren't you go subscribe to multilingual it's a great resource um, for our industry so with that djs thank you so much for joining us thank uh, you really thank appreciate you for it. yeah it's, it's yeah, been a likewise. really interesting conversation so yeah. I'll take us out here. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this episode of Nimsy Live, join us again on Thursday when I'll be talking to Lois Searle um, about her recent article in Multilingual Magazine. And I love talking to Lois. I haven't ch chatted with her for a long time, so it'll be a good conversation. I appreciate our guest today, DGs. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all the hard work. I appreciate everyone in our industry who contributes to industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue and chat, questions, comments, and especially criticisms. And I look forward to next time. Cheers.